Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Anyway, right? I mean, I couldn't let anybody else beat me. I had to have it all 
to myself. Now, as silly as that is, so many of us have chosen to live our life exactly like that. We have so much that we've been given, so much that we have to offer, whether it's financially or whether it's in, uh, in our gifts, in the way that God has gifted us. We hoard it and keep it for ourselves, for our own pleasure for, or for our own benefit, instead of sharing Today we're going to look at someone who was like the young Todd who wanted no one touching his pinball machine. We're going to continue our story of David. We're looking at David because I think he's a fascinating character. I can relate to him because he's got, he's got pitfalls and warts and ugliness in him that battles with this person that God wants him to be. It's, this inner battle as he seeks to become the man that God wants him to be. And it's a struggle, and I identify with that struggle. So we're going to look at David today. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 25. And it's the whole chapter. We're not going to read every verse, but it's the story of a fool and his wife. 1 Samuel 1 through 45, 25, 1 through 44. You can follow on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible or on your smart device. Now, what happens in verse 1 is Samuel, the prophet who anointed David to be the coming king, dies. Then David arose after that happened and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Ma'am, Ma'am, whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in common. Now the man, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail, or Abigail, as we would say. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. Now you would think that the way this is formed, that being a Calebite would be a bad thing, that being a Calebite was actually a very good thing. Being a Calebite meant that you were a descendant of Caleb. Caleb, does that name ring a bell in the Old Testament? Anyone? Euler? Euler? He was a spy, very good. And who was the other spy? Joshua. So you had Joshua and Caleb and others, and they went to the promised land, and they said, yep, we got this thing because God's on our side. And all the other spies said, oh, no, there's giants in the land. And, oh, this is scary. We can't do it. And Caleb and, and Joshua were like, no, we got it. We, we're good. Well, they didn't go, and then they wandered in the desert some more, and, and it became a thing and a mess. But Caleb was one of the guys in the story of the people of Israel that that Israel looked up to. He was a man of valor, a man who trusted God, a man who, um, who was a leader. And so being a Calebite meant that you were a descendant of this Caleb, this hero in the faith. It meant that you came from a clan that had nice land that included some, uh, some greenery, which is not always easy in that part of Israel. Uh, where they could grow things and become wealthy. He was an important man with an important clan. And so, Nabal had become an important man in an important clan that 
that had lots of wealth. So he had status, he had wealth, he had power, this Nabal. That was his pinball machine. He had all of this. And yet, he was a man who was harsh and badly behaved. However, he had a wife. And isn't that always the case? Behind every great man is a, is a great woman who's supported and lifted and, and, and made him what he is. And so we get the notion from this story that Abigail was really the one who made him all that he could be. So David heard, while he was out in the wilderness, that Nabal was shearing his sheep. It was a time of year where they would have brought all of his herd of sheep in and sheared the sheep and gotten the wool and made money and they would have had a fest, uh, a big feast and a festival at the feast. Uh, they would have had a big feast at this festival at the end of the shearing and it would have been a huge celebration and there would have been lots of food and lots of uh, joy making and all that stuff. So David's like, hey, brother, I know that you're shearing your sheep. While your shepherds were in the wilderness where me and my 600 guys were hanging out, we didn't touch them. We didn't steal any lambs so that we could have food. We didn't, we didn't do anything to your men, didn't take anything from them. In fact, we shared with them, and we protected them. And so David thinks, in return, can we come and celebrate with you? Would you give us... Um, Rations. Will you let us have some food? Will you let us celebrate with you? And so he sends some young men in his group to say this, verse 6. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm and they, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. That meant they, they didn't need of anything. We were there providing with them and protecting them. And so they were they were um, they were protected and then provided for by us while they were in the wilderness taking care of their sheep. That's what that means. Ask your young men, and they will tell you that we did this more or less. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they said this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And this is Nabal's answer, verse 10. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread, my water, my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? Are you telling me that I'm supposed to take my stuff and share it with people from somewhere else? Ooh, this gets a little sticky, doesn't it? This should make you a little uncomfortable. I'm just saying. Too often, whether it's someone from somewhere else, or whether it's a neighbor, whether it's someone that lives in our neighborhood or someone who's at McKinney Place. We look at others and we think, ooh, glad I'm not them. 
They're not part of me. They're someone else. They're from somewhere else. And I'm not going to share with them. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shares and give it to men who come from I do not know where? But he knows who David is. And he knows who Jesse is. And we pick that up in this language. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? He knows Jesse. He knows the name Jesse. He knows that Jesse, like himself, is a wealthy man of some estate. But he's acting like he doesn't know who David is. And yet, in that verse, he says, There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. He's accusing David of breaking away from Saul the king. He's saying, oh, I know who you are, David. I'm going to pretend like I don't know who you are, but I know that you've broken away from Saul. I know that you have left your master. I know that he is hunting you down. That's exactly what he's saying to David. So Saul is leveraging his, I'm sorry, not Saul, Nabal is leveraging his, his place. He's leveraging his power. He's leveraging his name. He's leveraging his wealth. And he's leveraging his connection with the king, Saul. And he's betting. He's making a bet that I'm going to side with Saul in this matter. He's hedging. Because he doesn't think that David is, is going to be king. He doesn't think that David is anybody to take note of. So he looks at him and says, okay, so I've got Saul over here who's the king. I know who Saul is. I know who David is and what he's done. But I'm betting on Saul. And I don't think David is worthy of even sharing water So he answers David in this way. And David, when he hears this, verse 13, says, all right, boys, every man strap on your sword. I think this is awesome. He's like, all right, I'll show him who I am. Strap on your sword, boys, it's time to ride. <laughs> and so they do. They strap on their swords, and 400 of his 600 men go to meet Nabal. David isn't playing. He's infuriated. But this is interesting, isn't it? Just last week, we looked at David. And he had the opportunity to kill his biggest enemy, the one who was coming after him, the one who sought his life, the one who would not spare him, Saul. And as Saul was taking a dump in a cave, David cut the edge of his robe off and didn't kill him and held it up and said, I could have killed you and I didn't. How is it that this same David who showed restraint over his biggest enemy now feels so offended that he's going to take it out on a man and all of his servants. I think David is a lot more like us than we sometimes realize. He shows restraint when it comes to what God wants to do for him, but when he's offended, those are fighting words. I'm going to take my sword, and I'm going to sever someone's head. I mean, who goes there? I mean, look. 
I understand this because I drive Airport Boulevard. <laughs> I understand because I have people cut me off. I understand how it feels to be offended and then to be angry about it and then to want to do something like run them over with my vehicle. And I think that's what David's going through here. He, he's offended to the point where he's like, I can't believe this. I helped this guy out. I gave his workers food when they needed food. I gave them protection. I protected them from all of the Philistines. Remember he did that? Do y'all remember just a couple of weeks ago how David went out and protected a whole city and a whole region from the Philistines? This was one of the regions. So David helped this man be able to survive. Because the Philistines would have wiped him out and stolen all of his stuff. And David's like, and, and you're going to return this with an insult? Are you kidding me? Strap on the swords, boys. Let's go. And so off they go. But one of the servants of Nabal went to Abigail. Because this servant understood that Abigail was the one who really could help. And he goes to Abigail and he says, look, Nabal is an idiot. I mean, he uses a similar word. That's not the exact word, but he basically says, we know who Nabal is. We know what he's capable of and just how, what a joke he is. You need to know that David's coming to breakfast and he's, never mind, that's a quote from Josie Welsh. I wouldn't get that. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> He's coming to breakfast and he's bringing the hurt. And you need to do something, Abigail. Because this is not going to end well for you or for me or for any of us if something doesn't happen. Then Abigail made haste, verse 18, and took 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep already prepared, and five says of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys, and took off for David. She knew that she needed to intercede. She knew that the foolishness of her husband, and his not wanting to share his pinball machine in Atari, was going to cause havoc for them. Destruction for them. She knew how the world worked. But she was motivated not only by protecting herself, but by something greater. Abigail knew that there was something special about this David guy. And she knew that for him to do this, he would lose some of that specialness. And he takes off, or she takes off to find David. And as he's coming down toward her, she meets him. And then there's this parenthetical thing that tells us what David was thinking, verse 21 and 22. Now David had said to himself, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God, do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all that belong to him. He's going to go and kill every male and take all of his stuff. But let's talk real again, just like we talked about someone taking a poop in a cave last week. 
We're going to talk about what this really says here because we've cleaned it up in the English. And I think you need to know just how, how brash David is here, how mad he is. He doesn't say, if by morning I leave so much as one male, he says, if I leave anyone who pisses against the wall. That's an idiom. That's actually a phrase in Hebrew. If you go to the Hebrew Bible I have at home, it literally says pisses on the wall here. Guys, is that not, like, awesome? I mean, this is how real scripture is. It's like, he's mad, but here's the deal. That is an idiom that is only used in about six places in scripture, and every time it's connected to total obliteration of every male. Complete wiping out. It's like, it's like I'm going to kill everybody. Every time that phrase is used, it's in total annihilation. So we miss that if we say, we're going to kill every male belonging to him. No, David was mad. He was steaming mad. He was like, like cartoon, you know, pressure coming off his head mad. Head top blowing the emoji mad. He was so mad that he uses this idiom and says, I'm going to wipe them out. And it would have been very crude and, and really a cuss word. It had been like using a cuss word. So David is cuss word and mad. My mom used to say, Todd, you'd make a preacher cuss. <laughs> the irony. <laughs> David is ready. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. But Abigail steps in, and she hurries, and she gets down, and she bows in front of him, and she says, look, my husband's a fool. Please let your servant speak in your ears, she says, verse 24, and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord, my Lord being David, regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Does anybody know what Nabal means? If you've got a Bible that has uh, the little star and you can go down and see what it says. What does Nabal mean? Idiot or fool? Idiot or fool? Very good, Peter. Peter, you, didn't, you just had that in, in your bank of knowledge? Oh, okay, you looked it up. Okay, got it. I mean, yeah. Yeah, sure. I didn't see, I didn't see your photo, so... Nabal means fool or idiot. So his wife basically says, yes, my husband, idiot, is an idiot. My son, fool, is very foolish. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord who came, whom you sent, who came to get food. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord, this time Lord means Yahweh, lives, as your soul lives, because Yahweh has restrained you from blood guilt, and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to you, uh, to my Lord, be as Nabal. In other words, I'm saving you from doing something brash and stupid, David, because there's no, there, there's no reason why you should waste your time on this fool. My husband is a fool. He's chosen poorly. And I'm going to protect you from doing something bad. 
Abigail knows there's something special about David. Where, where her husband was hedging towards Saul, placing his bet on the one who was going to be destroyed, she's saying, no, I understand that God has anointed you. That's the implication here. David, you're the anointed one, not Saul. And I know that God has more for you than going out and killing my husband because my husband's a fool and to have his blood on your hands isn't worth it. And so David says to Abigail, Blessed be Yahweh from God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your dis dis discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. And by salvation, he means I'm going to send you to the Lord right now. I'm going to, I'm going to save you from the rest of your life by taking you. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one man. One who, yeah. And then he received the stuff from her. And in a blessing, she's gone. So David, in response, realizes that she saved him from doing something he shouldn't. So what do we learn from this story? I think from Nabal we learn that we are given so much that we are called to share. And when we hoard, and when we protect, and when we hedge, and we use it just for us, we miss out on the blessing that God has for us. God wants us to use us, but he wants us to willingly be used by him, to willingly give, to willingly offer, look, this is what I've got. And you might not have a lot. But what you do have, whatever you have, leverage it for his love and his grace and his kingdom. Nabal didn't do that. And we see that if we don't, when we hold back, we become the ones who are missing out. We become the fools. That's what we learn from Nabal. What do we learn from Abigail? We learn from Abigail to not look at what the world says is good to not look at what the world says is powerful, to not look at what the world says is wealth and strength, but instead to look at people as God sees people, right? She saw David for who he was. She saw Saul for who he was. And she chose wisely. And what do we learn from David? think from David, we learn to check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> I know that sounds silly, but is it not true? I mean, isn't that in some what he did? He stopped and was like, whoa, gosh, thank you, Lord, for sending Abigail, because I was about to make a mess of this. He understood that what he was about to do was not the right thing. And it took Abigail, this wise woman, to set her husband straight to protect her and her whole household and all that they have, and for her to support and protect David from himself. Abigail is amazing, which is fitting that you named your daughter Abigail. 
It is a name that means the father of praise or blessing. Isn't that interesting? Abigail brings a blessing because she sees with God's eyes and not as man sees. She protects David and protects Nabal. But then there's the rest of the story. She gets home, and the ball is in a drunken fest. Hey, all right, it's party time. We've sheared the sheep. We've got the food. All this is going on. All of his servants, everybody. It's a massive throwdown. And she comes home, and he's so full of cheer and wine that she's like, uh, he won't know what I say to him. So she waits until the next day, and she comes into her husband and says, let me tell you what I just stopped. And she explains the story. And she, in essence, says, David was coming to kill you, and he would have killed you, and he would have made it ugly and painful, and you would have lost everything. But I stepped in the way because you're a fool, because you hoarded everything, because you chose power and rank and wealth and all of this, and you hedged yourself not for God but for your protection and your, and your name and your power. You saw stuff for yourself so much that you, you blindly missed out on what was about to happen. You're an idiot. You're the ball. And ten days later, he dies. Natural causes. And David's like, hmm. Okay, I got it, God. I got it. You protected me from doing something I shouldn't do. And instead, you stepped in and took, in and took care of it. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be Yahweh, who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant, talking about himself, from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head, which is what Nabal's wife Abigail said would happen. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. Church, wait a second. Isn't David already married? Is David already married? Well, he was. But what we find out in verse 44 is that Saul had actually gone and taken Michal, his daughter, David's wife, and given her to someone else in marriage. While David was hiding, Saul goes and says, hey, you're my daughter, and um, I know you, you're, you're David's, but not anymore. I'm taking you, and I'm giving you to this person. He used his daughter as leverage for what he hoped would be support militarily. So David lost his wife because Saul who was trying to kill him, stole his wife from him, his, Saul's daughter, and gave her to someone else. Because, yes, a daughter of a king was property, unfortunately. So David's looking at this whole thing, and he's like, you know what? This woman, Abigail, she's wise. I need her. We all need people in our lives that hold us accountable. We all need Abigail's 
that help us understand who we are and what our full potential is. But guys, as we go out through the rest of this week, it's time to take the Tootsie Roll bank off the pinball machine. It's time to share and to say, this is what I've got, and I want to share with those who need me. It's time for us to take a step back and not let our own anger and frustration be our guide, but let the Spirit of God guide us. Don't be afraid. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.